0: Hey, where's where's dad? He went to get things for the car, why? I don't want to be around him right now. I understand what you feel, Alec, but I don't think your father's intent was to make you feel that way. Yeah, How so? Why make that comment? Because it's true. I mean, you've always been really critical of him. Yeah, that's because he gives me unrealistic expectations that I can never live up to. I'm never good enough in his eyes. Alec, that's, I see where you are and I understand how you feel. But your father doesn't feel that way. He loves you, he cares about you. Your relationship with him has always been rocky because you haven't given yourself the opportunity to understand him. You haven't given yourself the opportunity to understand how much he loves you and he cares about you. Hey, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go back out there You're going to apologize for the way you reacted. And you guys are going to finish that car, okay? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. All right. The journey continues. We are glad that you guys are here this morning. I'm wearing a T-shirt because Cindy said, would you wear a T-shirt to promote Vacation Bible School? And I said, I'll wear a T-shirt to promote anything you want on Sunday morning. So that's awesome. So, walking in this morning down in the lower level, unlocking some doors. And, of course, they've got this place incredibly decorated for Vacation Bible School that starts tomorrow. And the theme is monumental. And I'm looking at the wall, and they've got these cut-out letters up there, and M-O-N-U had fallen off. And I thought, well, that's an interesting theme for Vacation Bible School, mental... guys are like, you're an idiot, Scott. Well, it is what it is, right? We are glad that you guys are here. We're excited for Vacation Bible School. We are excited for today. I have 27 minutes, so we have a lot to do. So let's get started. Ezra chapter 5, I'm going to remind you what we've talked about thus far in our study of Ezra. In uh, chapter 1 of Ezra, we saw the sovereignty of God at work in the lives of his people. God had not forgotten his chosen nation of Israel God had disciplined them, yes, and used a pagan nation to discipline them, exile them out, used a pagan king to bring them back, but he had not forgotten they were allowed to return home. In Ezra chapter 2, we see the faithfulness of God at work, the returning of the 42,000. God's chosen leaders are raised up, God's provisions, the things that are needed to rebuild the temple and the altar and all that's involved in repossessing the land. God provided that. In Ezra chapter 3, we see the holiness of God. Altars rebuilt, sacrifices are renewed, temple foundation is laid, proper worship of God, although limited because they don't have the temple, is renewed, it's restored. And then last week, James did a tremendous job walking us through chapter 4 when we talked about the enemies of God and the the gloves coming off. And, And it really is amazing when you think about... Anytime we're standing for God, anytime we're serving God, anytime that we are living in obedience to God, Satan's going to take notice. As a matter of fact, if you're living your life and there's no opposition to your Christianity, you may not be living a very strong Christian life. But when I'm living for Christ, especially in our culture, Satan takes notice. So back in 1991, some of you guys weren't alive. Many of you guys weren't alive. I was. I was just a little—I was 20— back like in 1991, but there was a cheesy song. A lot of the Christian songs back then were cheesy, but it, it, it had a good message to it. And it was a song by Bruce Carroll entitled, Something Good is Bound to Happen. Any of you remember that song? You want me to sing that song to you? No, you don't, but uh, I'm not gonna sing it. But it's really funny that, that he, he talks about, he says, I woke up early this morning, the alarm, cro- alarm clock just quit working and I promptly spilt hot coffee all over me. A mile of angry traffic knows my fuel pump is a goner and I'm staring through locked windows at my keys. My boss came in to tell me that we're taking new directions and he's sorry, but he has to let me go. I just spent all our savings trying to hold it all together, but I can make it through it all because I know something good is bound to happen or the devil would not be working over time. You're always here beside me and because of you I see that something good is bound to happen to me. There's the, uh, there's the cheesy <laughs> cover art for Bruce Carroll's cassette tape. I probably had that on a cassette tape back in 91. And here's the deal. We see in Ezra chapter 4 that the enemy, of God, uh, the enemy of God has come against God's people. They've halted the work of the rebuilding of the temple, and the people get discouraged. And for 15 or 16 years, the people just wait. They just hit the pause button, and they wait. And it's fascinating that this is going on, and and we're going to see some continued opposition in Ezra chapter 5. It's not as egregious as what you see in Ezra chapter 4, but we're going to see that. But what is amazing is we get the opportunity to look at this and see that something good is on the horizon. Something good is going to happen. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if there's all sorts of chaos. And it's not any of your sin that has led to that. Maybe your obedience that has led to that. But I'm here to tell you something good is bound to happen. God has you. God loves you. God wants to, God wants to, to bless you. So as we walk through Ezra chapter 5, let's see what God has to say. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what you have taught us. What you are going to teach us, Father, thank you for today where we can gather together, sing our praises to you and learn from your word. So, Father, would you take your word and would you allow it to penetrate hearts? Would you speak through me, Father? Would you use me as your instrument? Let me speak only what you desire. Let me speak those things that challenge your people, that honor you, God, and you be glorified with what takes place here today, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot that you see going on in the book of Ezra. There's a lot that you don't see going on. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in the background. And the first thing that I want to point us to is this that God is watching, God is waiting, and God is working. The Israelite people, the, the Jews that had returned, they may have hit the pause button, but God had not hit the pause button. God was at work. As a matter of fact, you see from Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, that God's at work in the life of his prophets. Look at verse 1 of Ezra chapter 5. It says, now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the book of Haggai. Now, Haggai is hiding in your Old Testament, and I'm going to tell you how to find him. If you'll go to Matthew, go to the first book of the New Testament, and then just back up three books, you'll find the book of Haggai, or Haggai, however you want to say it. So turn to the book of Haggai, because I'm going to read out of the book of Haggai, because it fits right in with where we're at in Ezra chapter 5. So Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. That should sound familiar, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Listen. Thus says the Lord of the host, Says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruins, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Listen to this. Listen to what's going on in their lives. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house." Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all of their labors. So the Israelite people, the Jews, they may have hit the pause button, but God had not. God was at work, and God was at work in the life of his prophets to get his people's attention to get them to recognize the truth of the error of their ways, to draw them back into right relationship to him, to help them refocus on why they were there in the first place. They had had come there to rebuild the temple. They had come there to reestablish proper worship of Yahweh God. And they had lost focus. Yes, they were forced to stop, but that continued on for 15 or 16 years. They lost focus. Their focus was turned from God to themselves. And God was using the prophets. God was working in the background, using the prophets to draw them to repentance, to plea with them to return, to come back to the work that God had for them to accomplish. God was also at work in the lives of his children. You saw that in Haggai chapter 1. In verse 5, he said, consider your ways. Look at verse 6. You have sown much yet you harvest little. You eat but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but your clothing is inadequate. You earn wages, yet you never have enough. And what you do have, you quickly lose. Again, in verse 9, he says, consider your ways. You look for much, yet you have little. And what you have been able to acquire, God says, I blow it all away. You lose it quickly. Why? Why, God? Why these circumstances? Yes, you've spoken to us through the prophets, and you're trying to draw us back to to you. But why these circumstances? Why do these things happen? Because he wants to get their attention. He wants to draw them back. He's allowing these calamities in their life to draw them back. So God is at work. He's at work in his prophets. He's at work in his people. As a matter of fact, God's at work in a pagan king. We've seen this throughout our study. You see this throughout the study of really God's word. That God will use whomever. Listen, if God can use a donkey to get a guy's attention, then God can use a pagan king. And God will use people sometimes that are outside of Christianity, sometimes people that are outside of his will, to draw us back to right relationship with him. And that's what God was doing for the Jews in Ezra chapter 5. He was using, yes, his prophets. He was using his words. He was using his spirit. He was alive in the work of his people, but he was also using a pagan king. He used Nebuchadnezzar in the very beginning that led them to exile. He used a pagan nation to discipline his children, to draw them back. He used Cyrus at the beginning of Ezra chapter 1 to allow his people to come back. And now in Ezra chapter 5 and chapter 6, he's going to use another pagan king, Darius, to draw his people back into right relationship with him. Listen to me, hear me. It may seem at times that God is silent. Or that God is absent. You read this and you see these 15 or 16 years and you wonder, was anything going on? And for whatever reason in our life, sometimes God is silent in our life, so it seems. But God is never absent. And God is always working his plan. God is always working His, His, his will. Always accomplishing his will. He's always desiring to bring those that are away from him back to him. And listen, God is at work. God is at work here right now. God is at work. God is at work in our community. God is at work around our world. God is at work. The question is, could it be that the junk that you're dealing with in your life, these calamities, these difficulties, these things, could it be that those are being allowed by God or maybe even being orchestrated by God to get your attention, to draw you back? God's at work. And God wants us in right relationship with him because God has a kingdom of his own to build. And I've said this every time I preach. For whatever reason, he has chosen to use us to help build his kingdom. But we have to come to him in obedience. We can't hit the pause button. We can't stay over here. We can't focus our energies and our efforts on our own home, on our own. Yes, I I have responsibilities with that. But ultimately, my ultimate goal is to glorify God. And that's why these Israelite people were brought back. That's why those 42,000 exiles came back, was to glorify God. And God was allowing things in their life to get their attention. Could it be that he's allowing things in your life to get your attention? Another thing that I think is fascinating as we read through this study of Ezra, as we study through the book of Ezra, is the patience of God. You know, I've heard people say when they've been in an impasse with somebody in their life, I'm just going to wait him out. Have you ever heard that? I'm just going to wait him out. Now, listen, that might work if you're in a little, little fight with your spouse. You might be able to wait them out and win that battle. That might might work if you're at a little impasse with your your children. We're seeing that played out on the video that we've seen. You know, I'm just going to wait him out. I'm just going to wait him out. But I promise you, that, that will not work with God. If you legitimately belong to God, if you're his child, you will not wait him out. God is very patient. God is very loving, but God will also discipline you. God will allow things in your life to draw you back to him. I'm reading a book with some gentlemen. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's about God's desire to really bless his children. And I get it. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I want to love my children. I want to bless my children. I want to bless my grandchildren. I want to be this great father. But but my oldest grandson now is almost two. He'll be two in September. And he's got to that point where discipline sometimes is necessary. So even as a grandfather, out of love, I will discipline my grandson. He's, he's incredible. You, there's no better grandson than mine. Just look at Facebook. It's proven on Facebook. But there are times where I have to discipline and I have to draw him back into right relationship with us or with others. In the book, the guy talks about the fact that it's not God's desire, it's not his heart desire to inflict harsh discipline on his children but he will if he must if God has to use the situations in Haggai chapter 1 to get our attention then he'll use those listen if God has to use the gastric juices of a giant fish to get our attention he will just ask Jonah if your life is stinky right now it could be because God's trying to get your attention and draw you back to him Listen, my friends, obedience is always a better choice. And God would much rather lavish his blessing on his obedient children than he would discipline on a disobedient child. So God is working, but God is also watching. God is also watching. I don't know what happened to my watching, but God is also watching. Look at Ezra chapter 5, verse 5 says but the eye of their god was on the elders of the Jews and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then he answer then an answer be returned by letter concerning it says the eye of god this refers to god's watchful care his providence his sovereignty his guidance god's control in our life it's interesting as i was studying this historians tell us that the persian kings had spies that they would send out into their land. So the spies would go out into the province and then they'd come back and they would report back to the Persian king what was going on. And those Persian spies were called the king's eye. They were called the king's eye. So I don't think it's coincidence that Ezra, when he wrote this to us, said that the eye of their God was on them. That we have a king of kings, a Lord of lords that's watching us, that's taking care of us, that's looking out for us, that cares about us. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, back and forth throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Christian, God is looking for you. He's looking for you to step out in obedience because he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He wants to glorify himself. It's not about our glory. It's about his glory. But he's looking for the Christian that will say yes to the call of God in their life. And when we say yes to him, he says, you just sit back and watch what I'm going to do in your obedience. No matter what you face in life. If you're in right relationship with the Father, you can rest assured that he has you. And nothing that the enemy can bring against you will succeed. God is watching. God is working. And God is calling. Really simply, God was saying, get back to work. It's time to get back to work. Stop focusing on yourself. Get back to work. I like what one commentator said. He said this. There was no mystery surrounding the Lord's will, and the people did not lack knowledge of what his plan was for them. What they lacked was simple obedience. They knew exactly why God had brought them back. It wasn't an issue of them sitting over there scratching their head wondering what the will of God was. No more than it's an issue for us to sit in the corner and scratch our head and say, God, what's your will for my life? God's will for your life is for you to live in obedience to him. And to honor him and glorify him. I used to ask teenagers when I was a youth minister a long time ago, where do you think God will have you in 15 years, 20 years? Well, there's no way they can answer that. You can't answer that. I can't answer that. But here's the deal: I will be exactly where God wants me to be in 15, 20, 30 years if I'm still alive, if I'm where God wants me to be today. If I walk every day in obedience to God's will for my life, then 30 years down the road, I'm gonna be exactly where he wants me to be. And God is calling them and God is calling us to obedience. So you've got this discipline. You've got this persuasion of the prophets. You've got the stirring of the Spirit of God. So how did the people respond? Look back in Haggai. Look at verse 12. I love this says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. They've all gathered. What they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And listen. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and he stirred the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehosadak, the high priest, and he stirred the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They obeyed. And they feared, and God stirred, and they came, and they got to work. Ezra chapter 5, verse 2, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the temple of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. They responded in obedience. They listened, and they were obedient, and they feared God, and they got to work. I love what Henry Blackaby says. Henry Blackaby is the author of Experiencing God. Some of you have been through that study. He said this. We don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. Because God wants to take you in ever-increasing measures to know him. And the only way you can know him is by experiencing him so He's going to ask you to go with him in dimensions that require more faith and more activity than you have ever used before. Otherwise, you will never grow in your faith in him. The only way you can grow in your faith in him is to accept the next assignment, which is always greater than the previous one. Church, what is God calling you to Have you answered the call of God in your life? But you say, I'm not equipped for that. I'm scared of that. I don't have time for that. God says, I'm calling you to that. Set aside the excuses and run to God in faith and obedience and see what God wants to do in and through you. Maybe the world won't see it. Maybe the world won't sing your praises. But it doesn't matter because you don't answer to the world. You answer to God, and one day you will stand before God, and God will say to you, I gave you this opportunity here. I called you here. I asked you to step out in obedience here. What happened here? Why not here? Or maybe God will say, thank you. Thank you for trusting me here and for stepping out in obedience here. And wasn't it amazing what I did here when you trusted me? How are you answering? Have you answered God's call? And let me tell you this, ignoring the call of God in your life is an answer. And the answer is no. When I ignore the call of God in my life, I am telling God no. So I didn't complete the quote from Henry Blackaby earlier. This is what Henry Blackaby said to end that quote. He said, don't ever feel that you will get to the place where you'll never be scared half to death as you step out in obedience to God's call to join him, listen, if you feel weak, limited, ordinary, you are the best material through which God can work. Paul said to the church in in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, he said, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is calling us to sacrifice all to follow him. God is calling us to be a living sacrifice. God is calling us to say yes to his will and no to our own. There's no doubt that God is working. No doubt God was at work here. There's no doubt God is at work now. There's no doubt that God is waiting, God is watching, God is calling. And here's the beauty of it. Listen to me, church. When we accept God's call, when we say yes to God's call, then ultimately we are under the umbrella of God's protection and God's provision. 16 years. They'd hit the pause button for 16 years, and finally the people of God said, yes, we will work. And as you see through the majority of Ezra chapter 5, opposition arose again. There was continued opposition that came to the people. Good grief, I need to catch up with myself. Tant and I, one of the leaders, came asking questions. Undoubtedly, somebody had alerted these spies of the Persian king that, hey, they've started rebuilding again. So Tant and I, one of the leaders, comes and says, hey, who's given you permission to do this? Who's given you authority to do this? And who's in charge of this? And what's amazing as you read through Ezra chapter 5 is that those, those Israelites who respond, they take ownership of their sin. They take ownership for the reason why they were kicked out of the country in the first place. They take ownership for why they've hit the pause button. They take ownership of their sin. But the beauty of it is that God protects them and God provides for them throughout the whole thing. One com- commentator said this, Tat and I could have easily stopped the work, but God intervened. God so guided Tatnai's attitude that he allowed the Jews to continue the construction until he could check with King Darius. And then I like this part of his quote. In order to fulfill his purpose, God used the coordinated preaching of the prophets, the work of the leaders, the determination of the whole community, and the decisions of pagan government officials. God's work will be completed when we step out in obedience. God will take care of all that junk that you deal with if you'll just step out and trust him in obedience. Derek Kinder in his commentary said this, that what God, what God's word had set in motion has as ever no lack of God's care, no lack of his watchful eye to see it through. In other words, what God calls us to do, God's going to accomplish He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. God is going to call you to something. He's going to equip you for that something. And God is going to complete that something, not for us, but for him as we step out in faith. Are you guys old enough to remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? Yeah, some of you that are old like me remember that. I love Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. I used to listen to that at lunchtime. What's interesting to me about Paul Harvey and the rest of the story is he would fill in the gaps. So here we have what's going on in the life of the Israelite people, of the Jews. They've been stopped once. Now the officials come again. It looks like they may, may get stopped again. It's going to be addressed in Ezra chapter six, but you know what? That's for next week, and that's what Aaron's going to preach. But you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you a sneak peek at the rest of the story because it's amazing. So I don't know where Aaron's at in here, but Aaron, I'm going to preach a little bit of your sermon for next week. Is that all right? All right. If you have your Bible, turn to Ezra chapter 6. Real quick, just listen to this. It's amazing, and I'm a little jealous that he gets to preach it and I don't. It says, Ezra, Ezra chapter 6, starting in verse 6, says, Now therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozenai, and your associates, the governors, who are in the province beyond the river. Listen, this is, this is Darius' response. <laughs> I love this. Keep away. Let the work of this house of God alone. Keep away. Stay away. Let the governor of the Jews and the leader of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Then he says this, Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God, the cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Listen to what he says. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheeps for burnt, sheeps for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jer- Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifice to the God of heaven. And then listen to what he says, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And then he says this, and also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impelled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. You don't think God has your back when you step out in obedience to him? God has you. God will protect you. God will provide for you. You just have to be obedient to the call of God. So last week, we looked at Ezra chapter four and we saw this this uh, egregious uprising against the people of, of God and these lies that were being told about them to stop the work. James made a statement. He said this. He said, Satan always plays the right card at the right time every time. And he is right to a certain extent. But I want to restate that. And I want to say it like this because we see it played out in Ezra chapter 5. James is correct. Satan plays his best card at what he perceives to be the best time every time. But listen to me, hear me. Our God holds the ace of spades and our God always plays the right card, the top card, the winning card. Every time And friends, God's card always trumps Satan's. If God is calling you to do it, God is going to equip you to do it and God is going to be victorious and nothing is going to stop what God desires to do. So there have been a lot of Henry Blackaby quotes in my sermon. So in studying, I was looking up some different things, and I ran across a quote by Henry Blackaby's son. And I want you to listen to it. This is how I'm going to end my sermon. Henry Blackaby's son said this, My father determined to live out his walk with God so vibrantly and joyfully that his children would conclude that if that was what it looked like to walk with God, they would choose to do so also. He says, my dad's plan worked. All five of his children are serving God in full-time Christian ministry. And then he went on to say this about his dad, who did have a, a large gathering, and, what, and his life is celebrated He said, most of us will never have a large worship service to celebrate our life's contribution. However, the question is, did our life make a difference for good? Was God's kingdom advanced in some measure because we lived? Did we squander our years or were we busy pursuing the purpose God had for us? Did our lives bring God glory or dishonor? Did our life accumulate regrets or accomplishments? Will our latter days be characterized by remorse or celebration? My father is an ordinary man. He does not possess extraordinary gifts or intelligence. He had no special privilege or advantages handed to him. Listen. My father simply lived his life with abandonment to God. And I am one of many who have lived in the glow of that decision. My friends, God is at work. And God is patient. And God will use whatever means necessary to draw you back in right relationship to him but God won't wait forever. I hope that you will live your life such that as you, as you get into those twilight years, your children will say of you what Henry Blackaby's son has said of him. He honored God, and he served God with abandonment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you allowed yet again an opportunity for your children to repent and get back to work. And Father, it is so easy, it is so easy to get sidetracked. It is so easy to lose focus. It is so easy to make this here and now about us and our kingdom and building our kingdom. But God, that's not what you desire. Yes, we have, we have much blessing from walking with you. We have much, much blessing from the lies that you have given us, Father, but you have called us to obedience. So, Father, I pray for those that are present here in this room. I don't know what call you have placed in their life. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's to give up a relationship. I don't know if it's to repent of this. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is, and they know what it is. So, Father, I pray that they would today repent and return, and that we as a church a community of believers that we would get back to work and our lives will be lived in abandonment to you for your glory and for your honor so that people will be drawn into right worship of the true living God because they see us worshiping you rightly, the one and only true living God. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and thank you for your mercy. And it's in your son's name that we pray.